Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. But it is the year of more. It's always the year of more of God. I heard a story, you may have heard this before, about this professional golfer. It is a, it's a really good story. This professional golfer, true story actually, who uh, was really admired by this prince in Saudi Arabia. And he somehow worked it out if this guy could come over, he wanted to play golf with him. So he flew him over to Saudi. And they played golf for three solid days together and just had a great time. And, you know, he was entertained mightily by this prince and they loved him so much. And after the three days, the prince was taking him back to the plane, his plane, to fly him back to America. And he said, you know, you've given me such a wonderful time these last three days. He said, I'd very, very much like to give you a gift. He said, if I could, if there's anything I might be able to give you as a gift. And he said, he said, well, he'd been thinking to himself, he really needs a new putter or something. He said, as silly as that sounds, that's the first thing that came to my mind. And I said, well, he said, I, I really need a new golf club. And he said, oh, well, that's fine. Okay, thank you. And then he put him on the plane. That was it. Weeks go by. And the guy's thinking, well, I don't know what's going on. And uh, a knock comes on the door. And there's a courier there with a certified letter. And he said, what's this? And he said, I don't know, but it's from Saudi Arabia. He opens it up, and it is a title deed to a golf country club. Wow. He got a golf club. <laughs> and the story behind that is God thinks a whole lot bigger than you do. Think about that. The guy had bought him an entire country club. He did. So what do we learn from that? Think bigger, ask bigger, because there's, you know, there's no limit to what God has. Right, Tina? Talk about no limit. No limit to what God has for us. Hallelujah. So praise God. This morning, um, what I had in my heart, well, a couple things. Let me just say this first. When we talked to the leaders the other day between Christmas and New Year's, they asked me what I had on my heart. And I said, well, I said, it's funny. I said, the Lord, when I've been praying, has said something to me I don't fully understand yet, and I don't. But he said, I heard it very clearly three or four times. He said, this is going to be a season for the church of, of seeing and sowing, of seeing and sowing. And like I said, I'm not sure what all that means, but I just really feel like we're going to see what we need to see what he wants us to see, and that may sound very trite, but to me it's, it, has, it has a strength behind it because we need to see to be what he wants us to be. You know what I mean? He, we need to have vision. We need to see. And sowing, I'm not sure, like I said, of course, that we can always immediately you think of money, but I think it has a whole lot to do with our own lives, what it means to actually sow our lives into the kingdom far beyond what we ever thought we could do. And so the more and more I thought about that, then the more I thought about, well, what, could, what should I share in this first Sunday? You may think it's strange, but I want to talk about unobtrusive humility. It's a verse in James 3, and uh, because it's the anchor of everything that Christ stood for, therefore it's what we should. James 3, 3 in the Amplified, I wrote some of these things down, so I'm going to read them off my notes. James 3, 3 says, Who is there among you? who is wise and intelligent, 
then let him by his noble living show forth his good works with the unobtrusive humility, which is the proper attribute of true wisdom. And I think on it for a moment. Don't just let it fly over your head. Where there's true wisdom, there's going to be humility. It's an attribute, and it's the attribute that Jesus carried. We know from that verse that humility is an attribute. When we allow the Holy Spirit to conform our thoughts, purpose, and actions to God's will and ways, we will exemplify his attribute of humility. Then if you've got your Bible, turn to Ezra 8. Ezra is an incredible book. I want to, and I'll get this fast, you know, that we're going to enter into next week. Again, remember this fast is something from the 14th onwards for one, you know, for a week, two weeks for some people if they can handle it, or one week, whatever. But remember, you know, you do need to decree a fast. And by that I mean in your own life. It's, we can decree a fast for the church, but what I mean is whatever it is you choose, like let's say you do indeed just decide to humble yourself before the Lord with a food fast, you know, the first week. But in other words, remember that you can fast other things than read it, but you need to say it. You need to say it out loud before the Lord as a witness. I'm going to fast. Oh, this is a hard one, I know. You're going to fast television. Oh, my God. Can you do it? Can you fast television for a week? Can you fast? Oh, oh, I will fast my mobile phone. Impossibility. Impossible. But seriously... You know, it's just we know the basics. The people in this church know the basics about this. You know, like, why could we not cast out this demon? Jesus said, these kind don't come out except by prayer and fasting. Fasting is an element that just increases the force of heavenly authority in our life. As you've heard us say, fasting doesn't change God. It changes our receptors. It helps us see what we did not see before. It helps us sense and feel. Let me tell you, like you've heard me, every year when we go to this, I always share just physically how you go. And after about three days that all the hunger pains leave, you've heard me say that every year, because that's the truth. After about three full days of no food or all the hunger pains leave, and your body begins to excrete, as it were, a bit of something that's almost like an opiate, you begin to feel a bit of just a pleasure, a sense of just... Mm, like that, uh, you know, and it, yeah, it feels good. It actually feels good. And it's something that's really important to recognize that as we do this, you know, do it with wisdom, but don't be afraid of it. Uh, you'd be surprised. A lot of people are afraid to fast. And as you get older and older, like when, even myself, even Daniel, when you study Daniel about him fasting, you know, his life changed when they took a lot, a lot of the Jews, you know, they, were, they left uh, Babylon at a certain time to go back to Jerusalem. And at that time, it's too long of a study going to, Daniel was about 80 years old. And he was no longer as young as he used to be. And he talks about it in places where really he couldn't do what he used to do. He wasn't able to fast like he used to fast or what have you. But another part of that is he lost a lot of his prayer base. And I don't want to get off on a whole other topic now. I've mentioned it this morning, how we desperately, constantly need to nurture a greater prayer base among us in our own lives, in our church, whatever. Because the moment a prayer base weakens, the church weakens. You hear me? The moment your prayer base, you as an individual, you know, weakens, your house will weaken. That's just the truth. There's no getting around that. 
He loves you to. He loves our communication with him. He really does. He loves our communication with him. But uh, so a lot of stories in Daniel. But in Ezra, Ezra's an incredible book because when you think about the favor that God showered through King Cyrus, first of all, you know how he just said, "Let the walls of Jerusalem be rebuilt." You know, let them go and let all the cost of all the rebuilding be done by our treasury. We'll pay for everything. And because of the, he writes this letter and says, notify and know this, that anything and everything they need will be paid by the king's decree. No fear. You know, and then the enemy comes in and tries to muck it up, you know, and say it's a lie. And But then Ezra and his wisdom, they write another letter and say, no, let it be searched out under King Darius. The Darius rises up and has it searched out and says, yeah, absolutely. It says right here, right here it's written by Cyrus that their needs are to be met 100%. Let nobody withhold them from building. And so they go through all of this stuff and, you know, to rebuild and start rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. But in Ezra 8, there's just so many issues in here. But the thing that has hit me when I was praying about today was this verse 21, Ezra 8. He said, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a straight and right way for us, our little ones and our possessions. I'd like to say as simple as that may sound to you, that's one of the purposes we should have in our fast these next two weeks. That simply, see, don't, it's like you're not fasting for a brand new building. But the most important thing is what happens in your spirit when you're fasting. But he said, we fat, we're going to fast before God to seek him for a straight and right way for us. Doesn't that sound like a good thing to do for us? I mean, for any of it, as simple as that sounds, Father, grant us a straight and a right way. That kind of covers everything. I proclaimed a fast there. That we might humble ourselves. I know I've said this to you before, but you know in the Bible, 90, they say 97% of the time, anytime you find the word humble in the Old Testament, it means fast. The word humble, when you humble yourself, it means fast. It doesn't mean pray. It means fast. It means to go without something as a sacrifice for God. So to humble yourself under the hand of Almighty God has more to it than we may think. It doesn't mean walking with the downcast look or something like that. Now, he says... There I proclaimed a fast that at, at the river that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a straight and right way for us, our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy along the way because we had told the king, the hand of our God is upon all of them for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and we besought our God for this, and he heard our entreaty. I really believe God's going to hear our entreaty as we give ourselves sincerely to seeking him for a right and proper way for us, okay? Unobtrusive means not forward, but modest. It means not conspicuous. Humility that isn't something you try to show Humility is something that you wear. In Scripture, it says we clothe ourselves with humility. You put on humility like a cloak. That is being Christ-like, right? We'll see that in a minute as well. Unobtrusive means forward, not being. It means being not forward, but modest. 
Ezra says in 821 that Ezra proclaimed the fast that we might humble ourselves before the Lord. Why? He wanted them to seek out God's way for the journey. There was another reason. Verse 22 said, For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen. He said this because he was a man of heart integrity. The verse went on to say, Because we had spoken to the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all those who seek him. So we fasted and treated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. Ezra's humility led others. When we lead in pride, no one will follow. Just have to consider that for a while. Here's the key the Holy Spirit showed me. Pride does not rise in a humble heart. That may sound simple. But pride won't rise in a humble heart. Now let's turn to one of my favorite passages that I teach in the Love Walk every time. And yes, it's John 13. And I hope you won't get bored with it. But it's still the Word of God. And it still absolutely astounds me at what Jesus actually shares. There's so many things in this chapter that we can speak to. But I kept trying to find, I'll tell you honestly, I'm try, I kept trying to find something else because I wanted something, quote unquote, more good, more exciting for the first message of the, of the year. And I mean, literally, like he just kept slapping me in the head, John 13, John 13, John 13. I said, but they've heard it so many times. Silence from heaven. John 13, John 13, John 13. So it's John 13. Are you ready? But try to keep your heart open as if you never heard it, okay? Really, otherwise you do yourself harm. Now, before the Passover feast began, Jesus knew, was fully aware. Now, remember when we talked about that? The word know means this extreme intimacy with something. And what was he extremely aware of? Jesus knew, was fully aware that the time had come for him to leave this world and return to the Father. And as he had loved those who were his own in the world, he loved them to the last and to the highest degree. So when I teach this, I always say, now really, 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 really think about this. If you knew right now, if you knew that you knew that you knew that you had three days to live, in three days you're gone, you've exited the world, what would you share with those you're closest to? I, I would hope it wouldn't be trivia. That which is the most important part of your being is probably going to surface because you know I'm about to leave. What do I want those that I love the most to know? Really, what do I want? And this is what, you've got to catch this before you read the rest of John 13. This is consuming when it's, again, this word know, you know, remember it's actually the word that speaks to intercourse. It's about having such intimacy that something's born from it. He is so aware, acutely aware that he's about to leave, that it orchestrates his next action, his next what he does. Verse 2, so it was during supper, and this, like I said, there's so many teachings this. Listen to this. Satan, having already put the thought of betraying, Jesus in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, that Jesus, knowing fully, again, knowing fully aware 
that the Father had put everything into his hands and that he had come from God and was now returning to God, got up from supper, took off his garments, taking his servant's towel, he fastened around his waist, and we'll go to the rest in a minute. But back to verse 2. Did you notice, again, this is like off the topic. But do you actually see this? I said something about this a while back when I was sharing about a person that's going through a bunch of trouble. Satan put a thought. Just take a hold of that. Satan will put a thought. It's all it starts with. Just one thought. Just one lying thought. Don't take it. If it doesn't line up with heaven, don't take it. This frustrates me so much in all my years of working with people and the stuff they don't understand. You don't have to take that thought. Take no thought saying. If you think it too long, you will wind up saying it and giving it life. If you won't say it, it will die unborn. And you learn to turn the opposite of what the thought is. And that's normally the Word of God. And find the Word of God that fits there instead. But Satan did. Please. Satan just put a thought. But he acted on it. And I'm just saying, so this way you guard your heart with all your soul. And you guard your mind. You don't let any thought that doesn't align with heaven linger. You just don't. Please, please. Make it a real big-time New Year's resolution. I'm not, I just, I rebuke that. I am going to succeed. I'm a blessing going somewhere to happen. I am strong in the Lord. I am blessed of God. I'm loved by God. I am right with God. I am not because of who, how great I am. I'm, I'm, I'm right with God because of how great He is in His mercy towards me. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing, be fully aware <laughs> that the Father put everything into his hands. Look at the three things. Dr. Cole, again, you've heard me say many times, said everything God does, he does according to a pattern and based upon a principle. Jesus, knowing fully aware that the Father had put everything into his hands, that he'd come from God and was returning now to God. In other words, he said, this is what he knew, what he wants us to know. He wants to know where we come from. He wants us to know where we're going to. And he wants us to know that the Father has already, past tense, put everything into our hands. I guess some of you are already bored. I'm sorry. I don't care. I enjoy this. So Jesus got up from supper, took off his garments. I mean, this is Jesus, the Son of God. You know what I'm going to get to already, but it's just, to me, I, it's just so loud. It's so loud. It's so loud. It, to me, it's louder than any other thing I read about him. Got up from supper, took off his garments, taking his servant's towel and fastened it around his waist. Then he poured water into the wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. You know, the lowest, lowest thing a, a person could do, as it were, in society was to wash somebody else's feet. That was the job of the most meager servant in a household. When he came to Simon Peter, verse 6, Peter said to him, Lord, are my feet to be washed by you? Is it for you to wash my feet? And Jesus says this interesting thing. He says, listen, you don't understand. I know you don't understand right now what I'm doing. And we all need to hear that too. When God is really at work in your life, don't think you're going to have perfect understanding of it every moment. <laughs> you just won't. He'll interrupt your, your peace a lot to get to your heart. 
Jesus said, you do not understand now what I'm doing, but you will understand later. I've seen that come to pass many times with me. But Peter said to him, or thinking, you know, he was really being humble. You shall never wash my feet. <laughs> Jesus, I can just see him lifts his head up and looks at Peter, kind of cocks his head to the side and says, Peter, unless I wash you, you and I will have no partnership, no fellowship whatsoever. You'll have no share in companionship with me. And, of course, Peter recants really quick and says, oh, my God, you know, go ahead, wash not only my feet, but my hands and my head, too. And then Jesus says an interesting thing here. It's nice for types and shadows. Jesus said to him, anyone who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is clean all over. And you, my disciples, are clean, but not all of you speaking or whatever. But he said, the only thing you need to clean is your feet. And one thing that I found interesting about that when you study types and shadows is, remember, feet always speaks to, quote, unquote, man's plans. So he's saying the only thing you really need to clean is wash, get your plan out of the way because your plan won't possibly line up with my plan. The only thing you need to wash is your feet because you've already bathed because you're now, you'll say later, you're clean to the word I've spoken to you. For he knew who was going to betray him. That was the reason he said not all of you are clean. So when he had finished washing their feet and had put on his garments and had sat down again, he said to them, do you understand? And he's still saying that today. The son of the living God, the word made flesh. Through him, in him were all things made that were made and nothing that was made was made without him. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The glory of God manifest in the earth. Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me the teacher, the master, and the Lord, and you're right in doing so, for that is what I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher and master, have washed your feet, you ought, it is your duty you are under obligation. You owe it to wash one another's feet. And this is the verse that still, I, you know. For I have given you this as an example so that you should do in your turn what I have done to you. Now, again, I'm repeating myself from teachings you've heard me say before. But again, think, this is the Son of God. He categorically says, this is the example I've chosen. I'm leaving. I'm, what's, what's in his mind? He knows he's leaving. He knows he's leaving. Who is he working with? The 12, the 11 that are going to carry forth whatever mission heaven's mission is, right? He's delegating all of his mission to these 11 disciples. All of it. All of it. It's kind of important to him. It's, it's kind of important to him. You've got to, you know, not just let this tickle your ears. It's a big deal. But I, when I first thought on this all those years ago, I thought, you know, what kind of an example would you want him to leave? You know, I'm like, teach me how to heal the sick. Teach me how to deliver people from demons. Teach me how to multiply finances and food. Something. Teach me about this stuff. I mean, think of all the things, all the things he could have given them as it were a seminar on. Seriously. Think about all the works of Christ, our beloved Savior. All that he did, 
all that he did was to bless us and to bless mankind, right? I mean, everything he did was an act of love because he is love with feet on the earth. Everything he did. Of all the mighty works they had witnessed in this 33 years of life, and their three years rather with him, the Son of God, born of Jehovah God, washes their feet, chooses to wash our feet, chooses to be the epitome of what it means to be a servant, chooses to do the lowliest job of all the servants of this time and this culture. And he says, this is the example that I am giving you so that you should do in your turn what I've done to you. I assure you, verse 16, most solemnly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and no one who is sent is superior to the one who sent him. If you will know, and here's that strong word know again, not just have a casual curiosity about, but if you will know these things, blessed and happy and to be envied are you if you practice them, if you act accordingly, and really, really do them. Hallelujah. Well, I could go on here, but you know what? That's basically the, the, the message for, for me this morning. That's not my tissue. Is that my tissue? I don't know, but I'll put it up here. Now. But um, then he goes on down. Verse 20, he says, I assure you most solemnly, I tell you, he who receives and welcomes and takes into his heart any messenger of mine receives me in just that way. And he who receives and welcomes and takes me into his heart receives him who sent me in the same way. And after he said these things, he was troubled and disturbed and agitated in spirit and said, I assure you, most solemnly, I'll tell you, one of you is going to deliver me up. This is amazing to think that he actually washed Judas Iscariot's feet right before. I think, and he knew whose feet he was washing. But can how do you interpret that? I mean, think of the love. This man is love incarnate. You're going to cause me to be killed. Let me wash your feet. That's like you and I treat our enemies, right? <laughs> right? But no, that's not it. But then it goes all the way down, and he says this, verse 33. Dear little children, I am to be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, you are not able to come where I'm going. So I give you a new commandment that you should love one another just as I have loved you, so you too should love one another, for it's by this shall all men know that you are my disciple. There's only one significant identifier of being a disciple of Christ. That's love. Still the truth. Only the, the, the identifier that this is the disciple of Christ. You have love. If you love one another and if you keep on showing love among yourselves. And to me, as we go into 2024, I'm done, really. That's it. That's all I got. I'm shutting my book. As we go into 2024 and go into this fast, I really do want us to say, Father, you know, show us 
the straight and the right way that you want us to walk. Amen. You know, I mean, you can add all manner of other things, you know what I mean? Help us increase in our revelation of your presence. Help us increase in the weight of what it means to carry your glory, to be actually carriers. We are carriers of heaven's intent. I am a carrier. You are a carrier. You're supposed to be contagious with the love of God. People are supposed to look at you and say, there's something like David was sharing about putting on Denise's scarf full of fluff and all that something should cover us. You know, it's the truth. We're clothed with this cloak of humility. And people will see that because you can't be truly humble before God and not have God honor you. Who humbles himself, God will exalt and honor. All through Proverbs, it talks about honor comes, I mean, humility, humility comes before honor. Humility comes before honor. So that is a guarantee from this word of God. If you just continue to have the revelation of what it means to truly walk humbly before the God, that doesn't mean downcast. It doesn't mean, it just means to be a people of rest, a people of belief that see beyond the current issue. You know, like again with Julie being back in the hospital, I have to be able to see past that. I see past that to the truth. The truth is still Jesus took her infirmity and bore this illness. The truth is still that the name of Jesus is far above the name of Parkinson. That's the truth. And I'm just saying, so whatever your situation is, I just really am trusting God. I just, I really am that this year will be something that's in front of us. I don't know, that we capture, that we capture everything God has for us. That we really do, because again, God's a God that always sets things before us, but it's our choice to receive them or pick them up. But I think, like I said, seeing and sowing, I think that's one of the issues that's going to be I think brought to bear with us I really believe I'm praying I remember Brother Hagen actually not right this second I just remembered all those years and years ago Brother Hagen said something about it. he said there's going to come a great spirit of seeing upon the church and again that may just sound whatever you think it sounds like but we need to see I mean how many years did you go with stuff right in front of you that you never saw but it was in front of you right there and I fully believe that the promises of God are true. I really do. I mean, I mean, I do. Well, it's pretty good for a pastor to believe that, I guess. But I really do as a man. I believe. I believe. I've made my choice. But I really need to be able to see. And again, this is why communing with the Holy Spirit is so important to me. I want you to show me. Let me see what I'm not seeing. Let me see what I'm not seeing. That's one of my prayers every day. Guide me into truth. You know, truly, I accept you as my comforter, my counselor, my strengthener, my advocate, my intercessor, my standby, my helper. Guide me into truth. Prompt me. Teach me to recognize your promptings better than ever before in my life. Guide me into truth. What is it I'm not seeing? And not to the point where you get upset with yourself, but I'm just saying faithfully believing that if you seek, you will find. If you knock, it will be opened unto you. I believe God wants us to be a blessed people. 
I believe we are blessed already, but I believe a lot of us don't realize it. And we're not acting in unison with it. Not as much as we could. Okay? But um, so I'm just saying, let us truly, even in these two weeks of fasting, let us take it maybe, if I dare say, more serious than we ever have any prior time. Really. To make a commitment. I mean, to, to commit to it. Like if it's a food thing for... And again, you know, I don't want to go through all through the practicalities, Daniel fast and all this, but it's okay that some people cannot eat. I mean, have to, you'll go ahead and eat something every day. I'm not, God's not going to fall off his throne because you don't. But you need to be serious about it because he is a God that looks for truth in the inner man. That's what it says. So I'm saying if, you know, if you just, if you just fast two meals or if you don't eat until the evening, whatever it is, but make it a decree that you're going to commit to and hold to. The blessing will be there. There will be a blessing. And I say again, one of the major things that fasting does, it causes the force of God's authority that you already have to be a greater revelation to you. I don't know. Wait a second. need to hear that again. It causes the force of God's authority that's already with you to be greater on you and in you. You have a greater revelation of this authority. Hallelujah. And we have to know right now, we really say that the whole world is waiting for us to blossom. It just is. Waiting for us to blossom and quit saying, oh me, oh my, oh me, about me all the time. And start saying, Lord, show me how to help the people I see out there. Like I said, classically, basic, walking into Tesco, I don't care where it is. My Uber driver this morning, my car wouldn't start, even though I got a brand new battery. I have no idea what's wrong. Lovely Philippa offered to take me home because they live near me. But uh, just like that, like the Uber driver this morning, it was just, I said, what the heck, oh well. But it was just nice to be able to speak to him. Just wherever you are, to share to him, you're a good man. You know, I like your spirit, whatever. Just talk to him for a moment. He was really appreciative. So wherever we go, I mean, let us just exemplify Christ. Like I said, you know, it doesn't, you're not, you don't, you may not be Billy Graham. I don't know. Well, anyhow, hallelujah. Father, I just give you thanks. I'm not going to go any further. I just give you thanks that we are your people. That this year you're going to guide us in diverse directions. And as we do begin to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, starting from that Monday, I guess it's the 15th, I pray that you will give every individual their specific assignment as it were, what you want them to decree, what they feel they're able to commit to. Because, Father, it's not works. We, it can, fasting can be works so easy. No, no, no. Let it be a truth that is received in their spirit, man. In their spirit, where they recognize, Father, that it's just something that you've ordained throughout the book, that we humble ourselves with prayer and fasting. We humble ourselves before you. And like Ezra said, he said, and the Lord heard us. He answered our prayer. And Father, you're faithful. You're going to hear us. And you will answer. Because that's just who you are. You're faithful and true. You cannot deny yourself. So we speak life and blessing to this year. We speak life and blessing to those we interact with. We will be more Christ-like. We will love one another. Amen. We will be quick to forgive. 
And Father, we will, we will dive into more of your creativity than ever before. Something very, very big about that this year. We're going to just a giant explosion of your creativity being birthed in the hearts of your people. I give you praise for that in particular in this fellowship right here for the grace that's on our people that that spirit of creativity explode in each and every one of us in whatever area we may be in our careers, in our life, in our work, wherever it may be. So I give you praise for it and I give you thanks for it in advance in Jesus' name. Amen. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 